0: It's time
1: to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commanders beat reporter Craig Hoffman.
0: What's up? What's happening? Welcome to Take Command. I'm Craig. He's Logan. He played. I didn't. But I covered the team for like five years. So I know a thing or two. We're going to have some fun here on the Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports uh logan's been out all weekend at rookie minicamp and what we're gonna do i think logan will be, will be smart for us real quick before we dive into this draft class and to rookie minicamp which will be obviously the majority of the show today we'll take a couple of your twitter questions as well logan's gonna be on twitter soon that's another cool thing about this podcast we're gonna get our guy on twitter because it's logan i don't know if you've heard but twitter is a great place
1: Uh, Yeah, that's the thing I keep hearing. It's like this super inviting, welcoming (laughs) place where they accept all different kinds of ideas. So I don't know, man. We'll have to figure it out.
0: Um, So we'll get Logan on Twitter. For right now, just hit me at Craig Hoffman. I'm on Instagram at Craig underscore Hoffman. He is at Logan Paulson underscore 82. Did I get that right? Or is that Uh, Logan underscore Paulson 82?
1: Yeah, there you go. Logan underscore Paulson. There you go. There
0: you go. So we'll get get all the kinks uh, figured out. But if you just start searching, that's the best way. Nobody actually uses the full (laughs) handle. You type in in L-O-G, and then it's like, oh, look, it's Logan. Click. Uh, So you'll do that. But we'll take some fan questions later on in the podcast as well. Um, But basically, the premise of this podcast is this. It's a podcast, which means we get depth. On the radio, we're always constricted by time. These podcasts will be about 45 minutes, uh, depending on how you're listening to. We're going to chop it up into about 15-minute segments. So, like, we're still kind of doing similar time frames to what we're doing on the radio, but we're not constrained by that. If we have a conversation that goes 40 minutes because it's that in-depth or an interview that goes 40 minutes because it's that in-depth, then we have the power to do that here on this podcast. And, Logan, I just think back to the pregame show, and we did, I think, a really good pregame show each and every Sunday Mm -hmm. on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980 – but we also did a really great show in the breaks often. And and we just be like man, that'd be so great if we could talk about this, but we have to get to the game because we were previewing a game. It was a pregame show. Right. And I'm excited to talk with you about so many of those topics and get into the, the further depth on really how a football team is built and how it becomes successful because when you're getting ready for a game in the immediate, you just don't have time to do that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm excited to do the same thing, man, because I think uh... – like, all this stuff, is, there's so much nuance in it. You know, there's so much nuance in football and in strategy and in team building and roster building. Um, I just think it's good to kind of be able to talk about some of that in, uh, at a higher level of detail.
0: Yeah, definitely. And not to mention, like, putting together, I mean, especially for someone like you who was so great as a player of knowing the game plan and all that kind of stuff, like going into how you build a game plan. Like we'll probably yeah. do some of that in the off season, but especially as we get into the regular season and we keep doing this podcast, we do game previews. Like we'll build our own game plan. Like what would we do if we were AC, I'm going to ask Logan, like what would he do if, if we were in maybe I'll, I'm just a position coach. I'll, I'll chime in with, yeah. with OC and DC I'm Logan. In. As we build stuff, but obviously the talk for right now uh, in Commanders Land and across the NFL is what's going on with these rookies just drafted into the NFL, undrafted free agents as well, and taking rookie mini camps by storm across the league. And I wanted to take a little bit of extra time to really dive in. To borrow a phrase from Dan, Grant and Danny, double click on Jahan Dotson, the first round pick. Mm-hmm. He's there. He does go back to graduate from Penn State. That was a really cool story from the weekend. Really appreciated that uh, point of humanity from Ron Rivera and company letting him go. But you've had the chance now to watch him, not only on tape after he's drafted, go back. I'm, I know you watch him in the pre-draft process as well, but you go back, watch him with fresh eyes after he's taken. And ultimately you get to see him in person. What are the things that stand out? What stood out on tape? And then take that into what stood out in person when you get to actually see him up close over the weekend.
1: Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, I got to do a breakdown with Coach Ron Rivera about some clips that I selected about Jahan. So you can see that. I'll put that on my Instagram. And also that'll be on whatever that NBC Sports Washington or whatever that's on. So make sure you check that out because Coach has some great insight. I'll try to hash out some of that here for sure. Mm. Uh, But I think the thing about Jahan that sticks out is that he's just very consistent i think has a negative connotation but he's uber consistent and i think the way he catches the football is an elite trait like and i think that allows him to p- to play bigger than his 511 frame he's got excellent body control he's very competitive when the football's in the air you know coach ron rivera made a comparison to him and like steve smith
0: mm. and it's not a
1: one to one comparison and i think that's that's something that i think we should talk about too like com- the comparison game and evaluation is so important because you're kind of trying to quantify or attempting to quantify these very, like, abstract concepts. Like, you know, the way he catches the football or the way he moves. And you just got to kind of ground it in something. So oftentimes you give this comparison, and it makes sense, because Ron's very familiar with Steve Smith. But I see a little bit of that kind of little man who plays big in Jahan, which is always nice to see. And I think, you know, it's, it's an underrated skill set playing receiver. But And this is going to sound crazy, but he catches the football extremely well. So it lets him make contested catches and make some, like, one-handed catches. And also I think he has a very, very high level of route running nuance. And, you know, I think one of the things that I – so Mark Andrews is a guy that I missed on really badly. I didn't like his tape in college. And one of the reasons was I undervalued kind of the ability to stem routes and manipulate coverage off of that, like, 5 to 10-yard setup of the back end of your route. Mm. Everyone worries about the break and the double stick and all this fancy stuff. But Jahan has a very, very, very high level of understanding of how to manipulate coverage. Like I can think of like probably four or five plays off the top of my head where it's cover three, right? There's three defenders across the back, and he widens the safety. The safety widens with him. He stays patient. He pushes into the blind spot. He gets the safety to open his hips and turn like he's going to go to the go. And then just, uh, Jahan runs a post and is mm-hmm. able to get a touchdown or whatever. And he does that down in and down out. And I think that level of nuance from him is something that, you know, it's not going to show up in any stat sheet. It's not going to show up in his 40 or his vertical or his broad jump. But it's this really awesome skill set that I think lends itself to him being a, a, an immediate contributor right away.
0: Yeah. So there's a couple of things you said there that I think are really interesting. I've spent a lot of time talking about decision making uh, and, yep. and how that is so important. But it's hard to try to explain without more specific examples what that truly means in a position like wide receiver right because it's one thing to be like the quarterback has to make good decision it's like well was the guy open or not and did he throw it to him or not like the decision making is much more easily defined and seeable yeah. to the average person and understandable to the average fan at the quarterback position for a receiver we talk about decision making the speed of recognition is one of yeah. the biggest decisions that you make, and in terms of obviously accuracy are you properly diagnosing? Did you properly decide what the coverage is? You think yeah. it's cover two, it's actually cover four or worse in that particular case. Like, is it actually cover three or cover one? Cause then you're really yeah. probably screwed something up. Um, but, and how quickly do you do that? Because you talk about these things like route stems and that is so important. The best route runners, they make their first couple steps, you know, the, the, like every family of routes, all your short routes are the same. All your medium routes are the same. All your long routes look the same till the moment that they're not. And if you can understand and maybe even manipulate that a little bit where it's not the exact same, you make it look like you're trying to cheat one thing so that you can open up another. Those kinds Mm. of things matter where a half step, a step is a big deal in the NFL. And so for Jahan to have that understanding at the college level, if he can continue to do that and, and read what will be more complex coverages by better players who also might be trying to set him up in the NFL, that obviously would be successful. I would also be remiss if I didn't say this. Steve Smith was my favorite player growing up. Like, I grew up Me in the too. Carolinas um, watching him. I definitely had an 89 jersey or two throughout the time my time growing up. And I have never seen a dude at that size fight like he did for jump balls and things like that. Like, even though, you know, you could throw the ball to Steve Smith like he was Randy Moss. And not <laughs> that you're going to be able to necessarily do that with Jahan Dotson. If, if they did, it, like, if you can, then they just drafted a Hall of Famer. Like, let's be very right. clear about that. Um, but the idea of, okay, yeah, he's 5'11", but you trust him to compete in those situations, right. Like that's a game changer, especially wide receiver two, where you're yeah. not going to deal with the best corner or the guy necessarily with the best ball skills, all that kind of stuff, who's going to obviously be probably, if they're a man team, spending his time over on Terry McLaurin.
1: Yeah, and, you know, he could be a two or a three. I think also another thing that sticks out about his tape is his ability to run routes from the slot. Like, Mm. Penn State did a really nice job of kind of moving him all over the formation. And, you know, as much as people want to say that can be learned, it's nice that the guy has that kind of in the queue already and an ability to kind of say, oh, I I know how to run routes from the slot. Like, he's a beautiful, like, uh, basically slant and go against Maryland, where, again, like, you see, like, he's in a different alignment. He's getting kind of a unique coverage, uh, like this off-man coverage. He runs a slant, and most guys, like, they kind of you talked about decisions, they get a little antsy, they get a little nervous, they cut the route a little short, they break back too early, and he is just the patience he has to kind of take that extra revolution, really get the D B to open his hips and run to the run to the slant, I think is really cool. And then you mentioned the contested catch, and just like to reinforce that, like again, his hands, his body control, those are the things that allow him to do that. And again, that's what kind of harkens you back or reminds you of a guy like Steve Smith. And you know, we mentioned comparisons earlier. Like, he, to be clear, he's not Steve Smith. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be that player. Because Steve Smith, like you mentioned, is maybe one of the best receivers of his generation, which is exactly what you want, right? But I think it's also important to note that um, that Ron is trying to categorize this skill set, right? He's trying to categorize this smaller guy competing for a football. And I think you get that. the shows up on the tape. You know, Ron in our interview mentioned that. And I think all that stuff's important. But it's important for fans to understand that it's not... Like, A to B, right? It's like last year when uh, Coach was comparing uh, Jamin Davis to Luke Keekly. Like, it's definitely not A to B, but some of the athletic traits sure. Luke Keekly has, Jamin has, right? Are they the same player? No. But that's why in evaluation, like, I've, I've been in, uh, you know, like, not draft rooms, but I've seen draft and scouting reports. And there's a, a bar in there that mandates a comparison that kind of says like to give, to give this player some type of context. So I think that's also important to note
0: here. I always kind of laugh at those two. I actually was talking about this on the radio last week on one of my shows of like, why do we always do it as the best guy? It's like, Oh, he's a six, six, two guard. All right. Well, he's Michael Jordan. It's like, no, don't do not do that. Like a receiver. It's always got to be like, you're either Steve Smith or Randy yeah. Moss or Michael Irvin. It's like, why can't he be Kenny Galladay? Like, yeah. he's a good player. Like, you know, and there's, there's plenty of guys that like, if if you're giving a guy a fifth round pick and your body type comparison is Randy Moss, I think you should have to watch more football.
1: (laughs) Well, also, I think that's a great point. I think people kind of, they, they gravitate to the player that they've seen the most. Right. You know what I mean? They gravitate towards, Oh, that is like Steve Smith because of this. And I remember watching Steve Smith highlights and Steve Smith did the same thing, right? Like, it's not like, I mean, that's just kind of what you default to. Like I've had conversations with one of my coaching buddies around the league and they're like, man, I'm like what's a good comp for this guy? And I'm like, well, and he says, he kind of reminds me of, um, you know, Darren Waller. I'm like, he's not Darren Waller. And he's like, I know it's not Darren Waller, but they're just looking for some way to ground the player. And oftentimes the comp that you come up with speaks to kind of how highly, highly you think of the player's ceiling right? Mm. So like in that one, he's like, I want to, my, my buddy's trying to make an argument that this guy's got this tremendous upside, right? He's like, oh, so much upside. And I'm like, there's better ways to do that than copying the Darren Waller. But that's the point, right? And I think when you look at Jahan, you see a, a guy who's pro-ready, got all this kind of rot-running nuance, hands, body control, a physical toughness to his game. Again, like he played special teams in college, really like return kicks, you know, catches balls over the middle, all those kind of things. He finishes runs for a guy who's kind of small, which is always fun too. But again, like That skill set, you're like, oh, you know, and Ron, who's been around Steve Smith a ton, is probably like, oh, that's Steve Smith, like, just like that, boom.
0: (sighs) The funny thing about Ron and Steve Smith, like, let's not be revisionist history. When Steve Smith left Carolina, he was not a fan of Ron Rivera. I think they've made up since, but, like, that was a bad, bad ending for Steve Smith in Carolina. He was pissed um, that they let him go. Um, How many uh, white tight ends have you been compared to? When you were a player like what was your what was the other guy that you got compared to all the time?
1: So it just depends. Again, it goes back to, like, what the coach is trying to prove. Like, I remember I had a coach that, oh, you could be the next Jason Witten. And I'm like, oh, awesome. You know, like a little bit slower white dude, 82, (laughs) the comp's there, right? And then if they're in a bad mood, they're like, oh, like Mike Mulligan from, you know, New York. And you're like, oh, that's not a very good comp because he's like a (laughs) special teams." I like Mike. He's a good football player. So no offense to Mike. But you'd rather be Jason Witten
0: than Mike Mulligan.
1: Yeah. Hell yeah. Everyone would like to be Jason Witten, you know, or like, um, Gosh, what was the guy's name? Doyle up in uh, yeah in, in Indianapolis. India. Those those are good comps. I that guy's a starter. Jack Doyle. Yeah, right. Those are good. And but there's always a way to kind of twist it in a bad way, you know. So
0: yeah, definitely. Um, last thing, real quick on Dotson. Do you think yep. he winds up being in the kick returner or involved in the special teams side at all? Because, it, it, like, it's kind of funny to me. The last, like, big-time receiver they draft is Terry, who they drafted in part to play special right. teams because it was a third-rounder, and then he was so freaking good at receiver that he's never played at snap of special teams in his life uh, at the NFL level, despite being incredible at it at Ohio State. Um, what about Dotson? Like, I don't think he's probably going to be covering kicks, but, like, do you think he winds up being in the mix to return them?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I had a little chat with the special teams coach here in Washington the other day, and like I said, Oh, you gotta be really excited about Butler and he's like, Yeah, we'll see if I can get him, right? And what he means by that is yeah. like the idea that they brought him in to be the third safety, and in this defense the third safety's gotta play a lot. And if he's playing a lot on defense, he's not gonna play on teams, right? So if Jahan's kind of in this this middle ether, right, of um, of you know, he's kind of the third, maybe fourth guy, situations, package guy, then yeah, I could see him being the kick returner because you wanna get him on the field. He's got an explosive skill set, right? I don't think that's who he is. I think they're going to get him involved early and often in the season. I think he's going to be a big part of this offense. And what I mean a big part, I don't think he's going to have like 100 catches, but he's definitely going to probably aggregate between 45 and 65 balls over the course of the season and have a very solid rookie year and have good production on third down. So I think that's it. And if he's playing that much on offense, I don't think you want to risk him on teams. And he's not,
0: that. he's not like, he's obviously dynamic, but he's not so dynamic that it's a Tyree Kills or Deshaun Jackson situation where like, you need a huge play. You put him back there and see what happens. He's not that kind of weapon, even if he's good. He does
1: have. I think that's a fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he does have. He does have some big playability. He's got like a smooth stride to him, and he does kind of. And, and that's that kind of reminds you of Deshaun in some kind of distant way, right? Deshaun was so smooth, and he's got a little bit of that to his game. Uh, I think you get him back there because you trust his hands, and he and he is capable of that big play but he's not he's not Tyreek Hill he's not Deshaun like where you throw him back there and say oh go make a play you yeah, we need a
0: touchdown two. let's throw him back there and see what happens like Correct. Not, I don't
1: think he's on that level yeah. and you know I haven't watched all his special team stuff to be fair to him but in the stuff I have seen he, he's explosive don't get me wrong but mm-hmm. he's not that's a different caliber of
0: explosive yeah there's there's no shame in not being Deshaun Jackson or Tyreek Hill right yeah i mean Tyreek Hill's stupid fast so anyway <laughs> Yeah. Uh, All right. It's the Take Command podcast here from Odyssey Sports. Make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. In fact, you can just subscribe to us right on the Odyssey app if you want. We are anywhere you get your pods. All right. Uh, Other – if I were to say outside of Jahan Dotson, who is the rookie that most excites you? Who would that be? Oh,
1: man. That's a really good question. I think – I think the easy one would be to say uh, Fedarian Fider- Mathis. Mm. Like, he's the second-round pick, you know, da-da-da. And I think, I think a lot of people were irritated by the pick, you know, saying, like, why not Brisker? Why not, um, you know, Troy Anderson? All these guys that were available at that time period. But, like, when you watch him play, he's a dynamic football player. He's got excellent arm length. I think he's got 34-and-a-half-inch arms, 35-and-a-half-inch arms, which is crazy for an interior defensive lineman. Yeah, he, uses, yeah. he uses that length well. He's a good athlete. He understands how to play the run game. He's a very, like, I did a breakdown with him uh, and Coach Rivera, and off-camera Ron was like, he's unselfish, and that was really important to us in the evaluation. And, like, if you if you look at the team and the defensive line, for example, and how they struggled over the course of the year, it was when guys were not playing as a group. And so this is a guy who kind of embodies that team-first mentality. So in terms of fit, in terms of value, I think, I think he's going to help this team a lot. I think he's going to make better. I think he's going to make Jamin better. I think he's going to make your Cinco, your five defensive lineman package better because he can play a true nose. You know, you allow Payne to bump out and play the three technique, which is great. Um, I think it makes your Buffalo nickel package better. I think it allows Butler potentially to play your Buffalo nickel. Like he's mm. not, you know, the most physical dude. He's very physical as a tackler, but I don't know if you want him taking on blocks, right. you know, right. 30 times a game. Like, he's, like he's, he's not afraid. He's got good courage. He plays physical, but like Butler runs a four three. Let him cover grass and let him be a dynamic blitzer, which is what he can be in, in that role if he's not playing the post. So I think I think he just adds value in that way. And then I think the other guy would be Butler. Like he's a guy that like I didn't know a lot about him, but when you turn on the tape, like to see a safety who runs a four three and then that shows up on film is very very rare. I can only think of a handful of guys, and all of them were exceptional in the NFL. I'm not saying he's gonna he's got that he's gonna be one of those guys. You know, um, the safety for. Um, Seattle all those years. What was his name?
0: Uh, Earl Thomas or Earl
1: Thomas. He's not going to be Earl Thomas necessarily. Not your Earl but... Thomas.
0: Not your Ed Reed.
1: Yeah, right. But like that's to see a safety with that kind of sideline to sideline range. Who's a, who, again? He's not a big man, but he's a very physical tackler. Right. And he's he's got that explosion from the hips. Like he gets me excited because he gives you some flexibility in the back end. Cam Crow can play the Buffalo Nickel. Maybe Butler plays the Buffalo Nickel. You know, in certain situations you know, it just, it's a nice piece to add back there. So I think, yeah, both those guys are pretty exciting in terms of what they do for the defense and they have a role and a path to the field. That's there right now.
0: Right. So I want to circle back to Mathis in a second and talk a little bit more about value, but um, actually I, because it was my time on that on the beat that there is a recent pick for Washington who ran a four, three at safety and he looked incredible as a rookie. And then things went sideways. Monte, Nicholson oh I mean Apke too but Apke's never really played safety like he he was always special teams and you know never really got out there at safety but like Monte the first six games of Monte's career like if he had kept up that level that dude was going to the hall of fame like he was incredible he had no idea what he was doing that was like the best of DJ Swearinger as well where DJ was actually like locked in and tell basically would tell Monte you go there and Monte would be like okay and he went there and he got there fast and you know it was big hits. So we got a, had an interception, I think, in, in that mix. Yeah. Um, was making tackles. No one got behind him. Like it was, it was incredible. And you saw how the speed that he had and that range affected the game. Unfortunately, he ultimately winds up getting concussed, and obviously things went really sideways for him. And right. you know, ultimately gets kick, you know kicked off the team essentially um, for an off the field incident. But the concussions and, and everything it was really really scary for Monte. And, and I always you know, it was, was, I always enjoyed talking to him and I thought there was like Mm -hmm. a really sweet kid in there who got really messed up by football. And sometimes that happens. Um, it's, it's a violent game, but when you talk about the ability to, you know, like, I also think too, on like the four, three side, the safety side of, of things, um, Peyton Manning on like his when he does like the what's it called the ESPN plus series that he does um, Peyton's places yeah. and he'll go talk with Ed Reed or talk with Ray Lewis about Ed Reed or talk about Earl Thomas or whatever and, and the way he describes those guys or Troy Polamalu where you just have to know where they are because they will show up in places that you don't expect right. four three speed is one thing but you have to know where you're supposed to be and how right. to get there and, and how to use that and you know, I, I, that's what I'd be curious about when you watch Butler on tape, like, how does that show up? Is there, is there that high level football intelligence and not say like, if there's not like, he's a football dummy. I'm not, I'm not trying to put that on him either, yeah. but like w- what shows up on tape in terms of his ability to read things, what kind of responsibilities was he given by his coaches? And then obviously we'll see as he gets to the NFL level with NFL coaching, what his capacity to learn is. And, and then he, he can potentially unlock those physical traits.
1: Right, yeah, I think, I think he did a lot. He did a lot of different stuff. He played the post-safety probably the majority of the games that I watched, but he also played in the box, played the overhang player. So obviously a smart guy, kind of played multiple positions within the defense. I think he shows solid instincts, which is why he's kind of fun to watch. I don't think he shows, you know, elite instincts. Right, he's not, he's like, not
0: going to be Palomalu.
1: Correct. Which, like he's, okay, he's fine. Very, he, he's very, very solid, and I, and I think you, you see like a very good football player. And I think people say, oh, that's a, oh, you know, Logan doesn't like him. That's a knock. That's not a knock, man. I want my roster to be comprised of good football players, to be quite frank. I don't want this kind of, oh, you know, this high ups. Like, he's going to, he will play this year. He'll play on offense. He'll play, he'll play on defense. And he might play on special teams if he's not playing too much on defense. Like, and that's, when you draft a guy in the fourth, that's tremendously important. Because you got to, you get essentially like a pseudo starter, a role playing starter. I think that's so important. So, again, Maybe not the most instinctive guy of, of all time, but solid instincts, good speed of the ball, aggressive, good blitzer. Like all, it's like all those things that are important, and he'll, he'll
0: contribute to this, to this team and, and make the football team better. Right. The, the instincts thing is, is twofold, right? Because on one side, you have do you have the instincts of Troy Polamalu, right? You make these right. insane plays that nobody can fathom, and, and you just seem to have a, like a supernatural sense. But there's yep. also do, like how high is your floor? And, yeah. and I think at the safety position especially, that's really important too. Because yeah. if you screw up at safety, like your name is safety. You are the one who's supposed <laughs> to prevent the the worst things from happening. And so there, even if you don't have the ability to make a ton of big plays, to make game-changing plays outside of the ones that fall to you, if you simply consistently make the plays that you're supposed to, that's really valuable too. And it Dude. sounds like that's kind of where he is.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, like he has the ability to make some splash plays. Like he'll... Like, on tape, the thing I love about him probably the most is, like, when he sees it, he comes out of middle field or he comes out of the box player, you know, the eighth man in the box, he is aggressive to the football. He'll get a TFL, physical... You know, so there are some flash, splash plays to his game that make you think he's got maybe a higher ceiling than what he showed at school. But I do think that, yeah, like, he's going to come in and just be very solid. Like, I got to talk to him a little bit. He loves football, like... It's just it's a cool it's a good fit for the organization, good fit for the team. So I think yeah, like I I I like the pick a lot, and I think it's good value in the fourth. And that's just that's one man's opinion though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Mathis, I heard you talking about him uh, with Russell and Medhurst last week, and you just brought up kind of an interesting larger conversation about draft value that I think is really important. Which is that sure, other people may not have had a higher grade on him, but. He fits exactly what they need out of that position. And this is where it gets tricky, though, because at the end of the day, you need to draft. You're not just like drafting random players based off a uh, comprehensive big board. If I draft the best player available on the, you know, take all the mock drafts, average and whatever they call that thing, like the comprehensive mock draft. Mm -hmm. um, And I just draft the highest guy and I am a 3-4 team and I draft a 4-3-N like that wasn't a very good pick at the yeah. same to- or at the same time by the same token or at the same token if you want to combine your clichés <laughs> you have to understand what the value of a player is so that you can potentially draft another good player and then that player later or trade yeah. down and and try to maximize your value and so like to make an analogy out of it as if I didn't torture the whatever cliché I just did already like if you have Something meaning like if you have a, a piece of jewelry that's like meaningful to your family, someone else might want that piece of jewelry because it's gold or diamonds or whatever. But it, the value is higher to you, mm-hmm. right? Because there's sentimental value in that.
1: Right. Um,
0: and so, balancing where you're going to take the thing that means the most to you versus understanding that you're part of a larger system that's going right. to place value on the individual players in terms of their draft stock. Is really yeah. important. So big wind up to, uh, to put it into like a question form to you. How do teams actually go about trying to find out on an intel side what everyone else thinks so they know where to properly draft guys, even if they think they have a steal where they're like, we love this guy. We think everyone else isn't as high on him. We got to make sure. How, how do teams go about getting that intel?
1: So I actually, like, I posed that question to Ron when I had that interview with him uh, about, like, his draft process, and he said that's really challenging. He said that's almost impossible for him to do. They they have methods that they do. He's like, some scout, like, he he said, like, you know, I'll go and take a look through some draft catalogs because, like, scouts will sell their evaluations potentially to these different magazines, and you might get a little nugget in there from somebody. I thought that was some pretty good insight, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of behind the curtain, and, um... So that's one element, and then like the way I do it is like, and I know my friends do this too, is like we're doing tight ends, for example. So I'll call my tight end coach buddy in in Denver, and be like, what do you think of this guy? And he'll give me like his kind of song and dance about the player that he likes. Then I'll call my next buddy, and he'll say, oh, I like this guy more. And you just kind of do that, but you always gotta kind of take it with a grain of salt because the guy that he really likes, he doesn't want that to get out there in the world. He doesn't want people to know who he really really likes because he wants that guy. That's the guy he wants the most. So, it's, so that, that's where it gets a little bit challenging. And, I, I, you know, I, that's where I came to this conclusion, basically, that there's no such thing as absolute draft value. Even on, like, the consensus big board with all the mock drafts, like, that is such a small kind of unnuanced population that's cultivating those, right? Even in the media, guys that I have a lot of respect for, like Jan, Daniel Jeremiah, I think he works his tail off to make those, right? Watches a ton of film, got to talk to him at the Combine. Like, his process is awesome. But that's one person, an organization... Takes regional scout, takes you know local scout, and then takes your director of scouting. Then the coach gives their evaluation, and you're getting all of these p- opinions aggregated together that present you with your board essentially, right? And I think that's so important to understand. So, like any person in that process could like or dislike one quality of a player that taints the player th- through the rest of the evaluation. So that's why you end up with these kind of drastic, like, like the New England Patriots in this last year's draft drafting that guard from uh, Ch- uh, Chattanooga in the first round. Everyone I talked to really liked him, but they're like, oh, I think he's a third-round player. And I think that's probably a fair evaluation. When I watched him, like I loved his tape. All the things were good. But again, New England said, we think he's that good and he's that important to our team that we cannot risk losing him to another player. And like you said, there is some, there's an element of overvaluing something that you think is really important based on your process. I don't think Washington did that with Fedarian. Like, you talk to certain teams, and I know for a fact there's a team. I'm not going to say which team, but they had him with with a first-round grade. Oh, wow. And then there's another team you talk to, and it's, oh, he's a late third-round third pick, right? So how do you balance that out? What is different about the valuation? And basically, I said on the conclusion, like, when you watch him, he is an NFL starting player, a rotational player, Mm Fedarian, right? He's going to make this defense better because of fit. And when I talked to Ron in that interview process, he said fit was maybe the most important thing that they looked at in – in evaluating players. So obviously he's a tremendous fit. He's good. His film is very good. He plays hard. He's a good teammate. He's a good leader. He's a captain. So those things, I think all four of those things together mean like, even though it might've been a little bit of a reach, they value him so much that it, it's not that much of a reach. I'm not like crying about it. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh right. my gosh, they made this big mistake. It's like, yeah, they maybe picked him 10 spots too high, you know, in my opinion. But again, like how do you take his value and his fit for the team and say, oh, Troy Anderson's more important than him or um, Brisker out of Penn State is more important than him. You, you can't. It's it's it's
0: impossible. Right. And the funny thing is, some people as some people pointed out after if they had taken how in the second round and Mathis in the fifth somehow, like everyone would be like, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, and just the way the quarterbacks fell, you know, all of a sudden, Howell's available in the fifth, and it seems like a steal. Yet everyone agreed that he shouldn't have been taken sooner because otherwise, somebody would have taken him. And and that's that's kind of the weird thing about this whole process is we talk about the differences in like the mock drafts or whatever, and 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 like you said, just to underline this point, that happens within teams. Like the Washington Commanders grade on any one of these players as representative of a consensus of people, yeah. where one scout, and maybe the scout that knew him best, maybe the scout that watched Sam Howell the most throughout the year, that area scout who saw him play in person three to five times, maybe seven or eight times over the last two years, talked to him at the combine, like has a relationship, maybe that scout liked him in the first round, and everyone yeah. else was like, "No, no, 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 no. Shut like, up, dude. Yeah. Right. And, and so you just don't know, or maybe the quarterbacks coach. Maybe Zampezi loved him as a right. first rounder, and everyone else is like, eh, I don't know, you know. It, and it's just, it's important to remember that this is a process with a lot of input within. Forget teams. even teams, yeah. scouting departments. The scouting yeah. department has its own thing. The coaching staff, and those two things come; those two groups come together. And then maybe you have a GM, depending on the team, who's big scouting. You know, some GMs are more cap guys, some are more scout. You have a former scout kind of GM. They come in with their own tape and, and opinion. Your your VPs and directors of of pro personnel, like they, You will take, for instance, a pro personnel director, have them watch your college guys as a second look. So that they come in with some fresh eyes that's used to watching NFL tape, and, yeah. and you get that opinion. So there's just so much, there's so much input, and this is so dissected, it's hard. And then I think the other part of it is this. The farther back you get in the draft, the less of a big deal that is to me. Yes. Because yeah. your first-round pick, it's like spending $1,000. And then by right. the second round you're spending $100. So you still want to be careful about how you're spending $100, yeah. but it's not the same as spending 1000. And then by the time you're in the third round, like you're spending 20, and if yeah. you paid $20 for a $10 guy, okay, you overpaid, but by 10 bucks versus oh god, we bought a you know, $150 guy for 1000 in the first round. That's bad yeah. versus, yeah. you know, we spent $100 on a on a $90 guy, like maybe is the case with Mathis.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, like, you were talking about that, and, like, Dallas drafted Tyler Smith in the first round. Mm-hmm. And so I called all my old line buddies before the draft started, and I said, oh, what do you think of so-and-so tackle, so-and-so tackle? And they kind of go through, and I was like, is there anybody that I'm missing that you, that you really like? And I'm not even kidding you, this never happens. They all were like, Tyler Smith. Tyler Smith from Tulsa is the guy that I think you should keep an eye on. Like, I think he's, I would kill to have him in the second you know, like I wouldn't be mad if they drafted him in the first. And then no one in the media knew about him. No one. And then mm-hmm. I want to say it was like maybe three weeks before the draft, Jane Jeremiah because he's really dialed in with all the pro scouts guys, he started talking about Tyler Smith. And then that kind of started the Tyler Smith hype train. And then right. when yeah. Dallas drafted him in the first round, all the media was like, that's a reach, that's terrible. But every single coach that I talked to was on the Tyler Smith train 100% between the first and the second round. And that's where he was drafted, like in the bottom of the first, early second round. And to me, like the media thinks that's a reach, but I don't think there's one coach that would be like, that's a reach. And so I think that's that's another thing that needs to be considered in this evaluation. Like just because you've heard the name or just because you saw the name in a mock draft as a fan, I'm the same way, so I'm not like criticizing fans for doing this. Just because you see a name does not mean that the – NFL values that same player the way the media values that player the media gets all hyped up about Kyle Hamilton he's this he's that and you talk to scouts you talk to any NFL scout and I guarantee you none of them had him in the top five like I guarantee you the consensus was he's a good player he's a box safety think cam chancellor he doesn't have the range to play middlefield. and you're like okay and then you watch the film and I agree with that so my evaluation coincided with that but I think that's also important to understand. Like Guys get hyped up. Their agents call people. Their agents want to get guys in their mock drafts. It pushes people up the board. That's so important to understand when kind of looking at this whole aggregate, right? So back to Fedarian. Fedarian, good football player. I don't think it's terrible value. I think it's solid. Like When you look at the other people that were drafted around him, he is an NFL starting defensive player that makes this scheme, this team better specifically because his fit here is outstanding. And I think that's what they did. They found outstanding fits with their first four picks that are going to have a clear path to the field that like football, that love football. and I think that's the important thing for fans to take away from this draft.
0: That's great stuff. Logan Paulson, just killing it. If you want all this stuff again, uh, at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Uh, and then he's got some of these video breakdowns there and as well as on the commander's website. So make sure you check those out um, to see kind of how this fit works and, and all that kind of stuff. And we'll obviously be getting into it with, You know, as we get to see it on the field in OTAs and then ultimately uh, once we get into training camp and the regular season. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. Your weekly source for all things commanders right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcast here on Odyssey Sports. Uh, If you want to tweet us any questions, you can tweet me at Craig Hoffman, C-R-A-I-G-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. And we got a couple of those to round out the podcast, Logan. Let's see. Where do they go? Uh, First one, uh, do they sign James Bradbury? We know Ron's fondness for former Carolina guys, especially guys that played for him down there. There's familiarity. Uh, He was... uh, a big time signing for the Giants. Nothing has worked well for the Giants over the last couple of years. Um, how, you know, so one, what do you think of Bradbury as as a free agent corner? Two, do they need to bring someone else in at that position?
1: Um, I think they should consider bringing someone else in at the position. I don't know if it needs to be James Bradbury. I think James Bradbury is a heck of a football player, and I'm not really sure why it didn't work out in New York. I think it's a scheme change, culture change, all those different things, right? Um, But I think he's a good football player. I think he was the highest graded corner in the NFL two years ago. And then obviously like corner value or whatever fluctuates pretty dramatically. So I think that's something to consider. Um, So this is my, my perspective on free agency. If the price is right, absolutely bring that player in. The problem is, is the price right and will it be right? And what is the right price? Those are the kind of the three big questions that I always think about in free agency. If James Bradbury wants to come here and play on a minimum deal absolutely bring him in. Even if he wants to come in for five a year, bring him in. If he wants to come in on an 11, 12, $13 million deal, no, it's too expensive. It doesn't fit with the team, doesn't fit with the chemistry, right? Maybe not the right decision, okay? So that's what I'm talking about. Can you work out a deal where he fits, he fits a role here, which there is a role, I think, you know, outside corner, obviously Benjamin St. Juice so a lot upside, but a little banged up, futures in doubt, all those kind of things. Can you bring him in here at a good price point and say, this is his role. I think the answer is yes, but it also could very easily be no, depending on where, where James Bradbury and his camps head at with is regard to how much he thinks he's going to get paid and, and the general free agency market for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, obviously, same on, on Bradbury specifically. Corner's such an interesting position for this team because like, they bring Kendall back, and it's like, yeah. all right, do we want to play him outside or in the slot? Outside or in the slot? Depending on who is healthy and who is not, he did some of both the year he left, he was the best slot corner in football per PFF. And then you get kind of a mixed bag last year in terms of results. But even, I mean, it's, it's so funny watching corners. Sometimes we were like, Hey man, that was great coverage on that touchdown. You gave up <laughs> And like Kendall had a couple of those last year yeah. where, you know, he's there, he's right in the guy's face, his hands up between his hands. Like he's doing the thing technique wise that you're supposed to do. And he ultimately doesn't make the play on the ball receiver makes a sick catch. And all of a sudden you're on the wrong end of a highlight and six yeah. points. And so Kendall's a tough one to kind of say, like, all right, where is he at in his career? He's he's yeah. at this point a veteran. Um, you know, obviously St. Juiced, you saw flashes, but what is he going to be in year two coming off the concussions and all that kind of stuff? And then, I mean, William Jackson III was all over the place last yeah. year. A- and you just also wonder what, like, how are they going to use these corners because they don't all seem to have complementary skill sets. And that's the thing that's like, you know Ron talks about fit in the draft, and we just did this whole big thing on, on Mathis and, and different values to different teams, and then you look at the back end of this team and you are going, how do these dudes fit together? And, and there doesn't <laughs> seem to be a clear answer to that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think like you mentioned Kendall Furl like he actually played I thought better outside last year than he did in, in the slot, and a little bit of that scheme like it, the nickel role here is very challenging, like very demanding. But um, yeah, that's something that's interesting, and then. Yeah, William Jackson III, does he settle in? You know, I think you, you paid him enough money that you got to kind of give him another, another opportunity. And so I think your fingers crossed that he is settling. I think he showed flashes. But again, like you said, I totally agree. Kind of all over the place, you know, and I think that's, that's tough. And then uh, I liked Benjamin St. Juice. Like, I liked him a lot. He showed good competitiveness, good physicality. Like, I, lo- I love the way he competed. I just love that. And I think that's a guy you can bet on. However, like, the medical thing is a big thing. Like, concussions now are not, like, this thing that they used to be where it's like, oh, you got dinged, like, all right, you know, have a couple Advil, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Now it's like life-changing information has come out around that injury, and I think that's, I hope he gets better because I want to see where he goes. But again, that's another reason why the draft process is so annoying is because there your process is sound. You found a guy, you can play, and he's going to compete and be a contributor, and he hurts himself, and he might not play football, like, at, at the same level, I don't want to say ever again, but that's definitely a possibility.
0: Right, right. Um, Obviously, communication is essential, which brings us to the next question that we got from Twitter, which is, what do they do at middle linebacker? And Hmm. this can play into the back end stuff, too, but it seems like as of right now, barring kind of a Bobby McCain situation from last year, a guy who gets signed late in free agency after he gets cut from another team, you know, post-draft, whatever happens, you know, or just like, You know, all of a sudden his price comes down because the demand for him goes down, whatever the case may be that you get some kind of late free agent signing. It looks like Cole Holcomb's going to be in the middle again as of right now. And they came out of last season being pretty clear that that's not what they wanted. So, how confident are you in Cole's ability to play the mic? Or if you're them, are you just, or are you kind of looking at them giving that lip service so that they don't look desperate? And in, you know, they're kind of the, the swan where, you know, above, above stream or above the pond, you're, you're just floating along and underneath you're pedaling like hell to go sign Schaubert or Quan Alexander or anybody.
1: Yeah. uh, That's, that's a really good question. Ultimately, like they're the only ones who know that for sure. But based on what they've said, based on like revisiting the tape of Cole, like, is he the best middle linebacker in the NFL? No. But is he a serviceable middle linebacker with good athletic upside? Yes. And did he get better as the year went on? Yes. And so I think all of those things lead, to, lead me to think that if they did go with Cole, it would not be a mistake. Like, if they upgraded, that wouldn't be a mistake either. But I'm just saying, like, if they made the decision to go with Cole, especially after a guy, adding a guy like Mathis in the middle, like, not that he's, like, this tremendous he's, – he's very good at stopping the runs, but this defense doesn't really – Utilize that skill set as much as other defenses, but he does have an ability to kind of stave off blockers and make plays in the backfield. I think that helps Cole. I think, um, and I think when you play in as much Buffalo nickel as they want to play, and they played last year, I think that's another thing to consider. So, like uh, another thing in terms of positional value with Mike linebacker specifically, it's not there anymore. Quite frankly, like he doesn't impact the team the way it used to. Right. So they've got two guys in Jamin and Cole who in my opinion are kind of what you want at the position you know they cover really well they can, they're fast, they're not like this coverage liability. Now could both of them be better in terms of fitting the run? Jamin absolutely Coles not bad, he's not great but he's not bad. so I think you feel good like that's a big box check that he's like just gonna be a solid contributor at the mic position and not screw things up and you're gonna I, he's developed every year he's been there. so why not develop again this year?
0: Well, I, I think the answer would be like there's opportunity cost there. If he's yeah. a good middle linebacker, he showed flashes of being a really good weak side linebacker, right? Like a really good outside guy. And so, why wouldn't you bring in someone that would unlock him to be his best, and also right. potentially unlock Jamin to be his best? Because part of where Jamin struggled a little bit was, you know, having to be told where to go and all that kind of stuff, and the better the guy telling him is at telling him, uh, which was Cole's deficiency is the communication side of it. Um, right. Obviously the better now, the better off you are. Could he get better? Will he get better? Yes. But I think bringing in, especially a guy like Schobert or Quan Alexander, like those guys have played a lot of football. Those guys yeah. have seen a lot. And this was kind of the, the hard part about the idea of drafting one is okay. So you bring in a rookie who hasn't played any NFL football. And unless right. he's just a genius level player, that doesn't really solve your problem. It's why I would have tried to move heaven and earth to bring in Bobby Wagner. I I, I have been on that train since the second he got released in Seattle. A super experienced, super productive middle linebacker. I know you, I hear you on the positional value thing to a point, but man, having a leader like that, a tone setter, a guy who's a champion in the middle of that defense, especially considering how young they are all around this roster, I think that would have been a home run type of move. I know it would have been really expensive and i don't think bobby wagner would have come here so it's really hard to try to fault them for that but i do look at that and go that's the guy i would have tried to do everything to get obviously financially it's it's not or wasn't remotely feasible considering other things they did but the idea of bringing in a veteran still i think is is would be my move and, and there's a couple good guys out there even if they're not as good as they used to be
1: you know i i don't disagree with the um what's his name? Bobby, Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. And, I, when, and I think that would have been a perfect fit here. The problem is we go back to our, our free agency value thing again, right? Mm-hmm. Is Bobby Wagner worth the premium you have to pay him to get him to come here? Because he's looking to be a Super Bowl contender. He's not trying to be average anymore. Like, that's why he signed with LA. So I think, yeah, ideally, like, in a perfect world, I, I'm sure I'm 100% sure they called they, they they probably gave him an offer, and it just wasn't in the cards for them, right? And so I think that's the other thing with free agency, right? It's like, as much as that would be the perfect fit here and as much as like if, if you had a, like an unlimited checkbook, yeah, you'd want them here 100%. Sure. You don't. You get the salary cap. you got to negotiate that. So, like, I'm on I'm, I'm board with that 100%. I think you would have made both those guys tremendously better. He would have two guys to learn from, two, like, a, just how to be pros. You know what I mean? How to diagnose stuff, how to be where you're supposed to be. And that's so important and so valuable. But that wasn't in the cards for the team. And I think that also in addition to, like, you know, this outside of Bobby Wagner, like, how much better is Quan Alexander making you in this scheme? Which, I, when I watch it, I think it's really challenging on linebackers, to be totally honest. They don't mm-hmm. make a huge effort to, like, cover them up. You have a, some pretty challenging coverage responsibilities in terms of where they got to get to in zones. And so it's not like this cookie-cutter thing where you can just bring anybody in off the street and fill these roles. Sure. And I think that's important to, to note. And you need... I think that's one of the reasons they went after Jamin is because of the athletic upside, right? That's one of the reasons they like Cole because he's got athletic upside. So I think when looking at that and looking at the scheme, looking at the fit, that's an important variable to consider. It's it's not like we can just go out and find any Joe Blow to play middle linebacker. It's got to be a very specific type of middle linebacker here that can cover, play the run, and those guys are hard to find, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. You want more from Logan? At Logan underscore Paulson82 on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Instagram, at Craig underscore Hoffman. you got me on Twitter, at Craig Hoffman. Logan, we're going to get him on Twitter soon, and he'll <laughs> jump into the cesspool with the rest of us. And, uh, you know, we'll see if he can swim. That's basically, yeah. that's basically how that's going to go. We're going to find out. We're going to find out. Uh, we are – I don't think I said this off the top of the pod. Uh, this is good information. So this is your reward for listening all the way to the end. We're Monday, Thursday. Uh, so, you'll look for us every Monday afternoon, every Thursday afternoon. Uh, I'm editing it, so if it's not up, sorry. Uh, but we're going to try to get it to you by by your ride home every Monday and Thursday afternoon. Uh, other than that, anything else uh, to wrap episode one, Logan? No, man. I thought
1: this was good, man. It's, I'm excited to do the show with you, for sure.
0: Same here. Same here. So, with that, I uh, hope you enjoyed it. This is Take Command from Odyssey Sports, and we'll see everybody on Thursday.